I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Jeremiah chapters 14 through 17. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. We begin chapter 14 with a drought in Judah, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Judah mourns, and her gates languish. They mourn for the land, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded, and covered their heads, because the ground is parched. For there was no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yes, the deer also gave birth in the field, but left because there was no grass. And the wild donkeys stood in the desolate heights. They sniffed at the wind like jackals. Their eyes failed because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you, O the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land, and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man astonished? like a mighty one who cannot save. Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us, thus says the Lord, to this people. Thus they have loved to wander, they have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry, and when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, Sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword." They will have no one to bury them, them nor their wives, their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness on them. Therefore you shall say this word to them, Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has broken with a mighty stroke, with a very severe blow. If I go out to the field, then behold those slain with the sword. And if I enter the city, then behold those sick from famine. Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land they do not know. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but there was no good, and for the time of healing, and there was trouble. 
We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers. We have sinned against you. Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace us, the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait for you, since you have made all these. Well, there's typically not an abundance of rainfall in Israel anyway. Israel's much like the rainfall averages of the states in America west of the Mississippi River, like Arizona and Nevada and so forth. Drought was not an infrequent occurrence back then, along with the famine that resulted. Nonetheless, the people always felt that a drought was some sort of a message from God. So in the midst of a drought, they would pray and sacrifice. Now let's get an overview of the exchange between God and Jeremiah in this chapter. Verse 1 is the introduction. Verses 2 through 6 talk about the details of the drought that's in Jerusalem at the time. Verses 7 through 9, Jeremiah intercedes to God on Jerusalem's behalf. In verses 10 through 12, God tells Jeremiah to stop praying for them. That's interesting, isn't it? In verse 13, Jeremiah explains that the false prophets have given the people false hope. Then in verses 14 through 16, God addresses these false prophecies and issues his decree on the people of Jerusalem. And then finally, in verses 17 to 22, Jeremiah continues to intercede for those people anyway. The only problem here is that they did not turn away from their false gods and proclaim faith in the one and only true God. In verses 7 through 9, Jeremiah prays for his people despite their rebellion against God. However, we have another interesting word from God to Jeremiah in verse 11 when it says, Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people for their good. We keep seeing this lesson in the book of Jeremiah, and I believe it's a strong lesson for us today. It simply isn't proper to pray for the prosperity of believers who are rejecting God's counsel. But Jeremiah had another nagging problem. That problem was false prophets. These were politically correct guys, and maybe gals. They prophesied to the people that relief was on the way, that things were going to be okay. God tells Jeremiah that they'll get their just due when people realize that they had been intentionally deceived by these false prophets. So get the picture here. Famine was in Israel. The people began to call upon God, but the people refused to forsake their worship of false gods. Jeremiah called upon the people to repent and turn to the worship of God and only God. He was a minority voice, though. There were simultaneously an endless supply of false prophets who told the people that times would get better. While seeking positive news, the people chose to believe the false prophets rather than the old doomsday preaching Jeremiah. So here's what God told Jeremiah in verse 14. He said, The prophets prophesied lies in my name. Well, it's clear. The first step to avoiding judgment from God is to obey God. And believe me, nothing else will do. Jeremiah further expresses his grief over Judah in verses 17 and 18. Then in verses 19 to 22, Jeremiah continues to plead with God for a stay of judgment against Judah. We'll see God's reply to Jeremiah's plea in chapter 15, which is where we'll begin reading now. Verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. And it shall be if they say to you, Where should we go? Then you shall tell them, Thus says the Lord. 
such as are for death to death, and such as are for the sword to the sword, and such as are for the famine to the famine, and such as are for the captivity to the captivity. And I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone backward, therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting, and I will winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land. And I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sand of the seas. I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a plunder at noonday. I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. She languishes who has borne seven. She has breathed her last. Her son has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded, and the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. At the end of chapter 14, we saw Jeremiah pleading with God on behalf of his people. Well, chapter 15 here begins with God's reply to Jeremiah's plea. Not even famous personalities from the past, like Moses or Samuel, that's in verse 1, not even they can thwart the judgment of God on Judah. Severe judgment is coming because of their sin of turning their backs on God. The last good king in Judah was Josiah. Jeremiah prophesied during the reigns of the last five kings of Judah, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Judah fell completely under Zedekiah. King Manasseh is mentioned in verse 4, and it's quite significant. He followed the reign of his father, the good king Hezekiah, but Manasseh was very evil, as was his son Ammon. Josiah followed his father Ammon with his reforms toward God. However, Josiah only provided a temporary reprieve from God's judgment. Now notice what's said regarding Josiah and Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 25 through 27. And I read from those three verses now. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city Jerusalem which I have chosen, and the house of which I said my name shall be there. Well, after Josiah's death, there were no more good kings. Manasseh is credited here with the evilness that kicked off the final rebellion of Judah, even though Josiah had followed God and had instituted some reforms. Well, let's face it, the lingering effect of the godless leadership of Manasseh, well, it still plagued Judah. Because of the wicked rule of Manasseh, deportation of Judah's influential people would follow. Jeremiah's word from God continues in verse 7 when he says, I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. 
And then Jeremiah complains about his working conditions in verses 10 through 21. Verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent for interest, nor have men lent to me for interest. Every one of them curses me. The Lord said, Surely it will be well with your remnant. Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity and in the time of affliction. Can anyone break iron, the northern iron and the bronze, your wealth and your treasures I will give as a plunder without price because of all your sins throughout your territories? And I will make you cross over with your enemies into a land which you do not know. For a fire is kindled in my anger which shall burn upon you. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream, as waters that fail? Therefore thus says the Lord, If you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you. But you must not return to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall, and they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible." Beginning here in verse 10, Jeremiah follows God's decree upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem with a little bit of complaining about his own set of personal circumstances. His moaning continues down through verse 18. God addresses Jeremiah's complaint in verses 19 to 21. These people, my own people, they don't like me, Jeremiah complained. Well, let's face it. When all you do is prophesy that the people to whom you minister are going to crash and burn, you're not likely to be very popular. On top of that, the false prophets continually told the people exactly what they wanted to hear. Theirs was a message of relief and prosperity. The people loved those false prophets. I mean, how much does this sound just like politics today? What's interesting here is that God does not offer any relief for Jeremiah. Telling the truth, let's face it, is a tough job. But it was the job that God called Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah's complaining to God is seen beginning in verse 10 where he laments his own birth. He's assured by God that the northern iron, being the Babylonians, that they will overcome Judah just as Jeremiah had been prophesying. He's assured by God that even Judah's enemies would eventually come asking for his counsel. In verse 15, Jeremiah asked for revenge upon those of his own people who persecute him. He treasured God's word, we see in verse 16, And yet he was all alone, we see in verse 17. Yet, Jeremiah has the promise of God in verse 21 when it says, I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. And then the doom and gloom message intensifies in chapter 16, beginning here with verse 1. 
The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning their mothers who bore them, and their fathers who begot them in this land. They shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their corpses shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beast of the earth. For thus says the Lord, Do not enter the house of mourning, nor go to lament or bemoan them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, says the Lord, loving kindness and mercies. Both the great and the small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for them, cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them. Nor shall men break bread in mourning for them, to comfort them for the dead. Nor shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their father or their mother. Also you shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them, to eat and drink. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They have walked after other gods and have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart, so that no one listens to me. Therefore I will cast you out of this land into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. Well, Jeremiah is complaining in chapter 15, well, obviously didn't take. God instructs Jeremiah to pour it on even thicker than before. Look those Jews right in the eyes and tell them that because of the spiritual adultery committed by their fathers and them, that they're headed for certain destruction. But that's not all the bad news for Jeremiah. God forbids Jeremiah to marry. The normal state of existence for a Jewish man during that time was to have a wife. However, the urgency of the situation in Judah during this time was such that God told Jeremiah that he could not be encumbered with the responsibility of caring for a wife. Furthermore, we see that Jeremiah was forbidden by God to even socialize with his Jewish brethren or even go to their festivals in verses 4 and 5. He had to be in a position to warn the people of the consequences of their sin without the constraints of friendship with the wicked Jewish populace. When they asked Jeremiah why he considers them to be so wicked, He's to point out that it's because their fathers were wicked, and they themselves are even more wicked. That's verses 10 through 12. And here's that unpopular warning in verse 13. It says, Therefore I will cast you out of this land into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. And finally, a promise of restoration is seen in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 16. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, 
But the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them, for I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin, because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know my name is the Lord. Well, the hunters and fishermen in verse 16, those are the pagan conquerors who are to be God's instruments for chastising Israel. Yeah, but the people were really looking for a message from Jeremiah that would tell them that things were going to improve. Not a message that Judah would collapse before things improved. However, Jeremiah didn't make the news. He just reported it. And that news was not good, as we see in verse 18 when it says, And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin, because they have defiled my land, and they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. Judah would be judged for their wickedness, period. This section ends with a restoration which surely is messianic based upon our knowledge of history. The Gentiles who overrun Judah will realize that their gods are false. Notice what it says in verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. That, in fact, will happen in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21 at the Battle of Armageddon. While Judah did return to the land from their Babylonian exile beginning in 535 B.C., this reference seems to speak of a time where the Messiah is in control. The notion of nations coming to Judah at some future point to seek the true God, that's found in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, also Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 14. All of these references are clearly messianic. And then we see more about the people of Judah, that they are just big-time sinners, beginning in chapter 17, verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond it is engraved, on the tablet of their heart, and on the horns of your altars. While their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills, O oh, my mountain and the field I will give as a plunder your wealth, all your treasures, and your high places of sin within all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage which I gave you, and I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord." For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes. 
but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Well, their sin was indelibly written on their hearts. The metaphor used here of the iron pen with the diamond tip paints them as deeply entrenched in their God-rejecting, idolatrous ways. They would never turn back. There are a couple, well, even three, general use verses in this passage. Notice the warning of verse 5. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. And why is that? Well, look at verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's that old Adamic nature at work in each person. Look at my notes on Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 to get a handle on that. But if you're looking for some consolation, then look at verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. And then verse 13 makes it very clear that it's because of Judah's rejection of God that God has rejected them. In chapter 17, verses 14 through 18, Jeremiah is looking for a little bit of vindication. Verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. Let them be ashamed who persecute me. But do not let me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but do not let me be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destroy them with double destruction. Hey, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's thinking and saying exactly what, well, exactly what I'd be thinking and saying in his situation. It sure would be nice if you'd go ahead and just show them that they're wrong and that I'm right. Well, that's what I'd be saying, too. These people are saying to Jeremiah in verse 15, God's judgment will bring it on. Hey, they're mocking Jeremiah in this situation. As a matter of fact, it looks like Jeremiah is pretty fed up with his rebellious people in verse 18 when he says, Let them be ashamed who persecute me, but do not let me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but do not let me be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destroy them with double destruction. Well... So much for the kind and gentle approach to prophesying. People today might think Jeremiah a bit too harsh and outspoken to have an effective ministry. Now listen, Jeremiah spoke what God told him to speak. It wasn't a popular message, though. 
There's no question because of the taunting of Jeremiah by those wicked people that Jeremiah is asking God to go ahead and vindicate him. By the way, Jeremiah's vindication is coming, but it'll be on God's timetable, not Jeremiah's. And then in chapter 17, verses 19 to 27, we have yet another tough job for Jeremiah. Verse 19, Thus the Lord said to me, Go and stand in the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say to them, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work but hallow the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their neck stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work in it, then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the lowland, from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. But if you will not heed me to howl of the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its streets, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Well, the people of Judah and Jerusalem already ignored Jeremiah, even despised him, as a matter of fact, for his negative messages. Prophesying's tough work. Well, God gives Jeremiah another tough assignment. Go to the gates of Jerusalem and rag the people for forsaking the observance of the Sabbath day. This observance was uniquely Jewish. It separated them from the rest of the pagan world, but they had forsaken its observance. So here's Jeremiah's message. If you don't listen, fire will devour this place. Did they listen? No. Now look, this is fascinating. Another offer from God if these corrupt folks will repent. Look at verses 24 through 27. It says, do right by God and he'll fix everything. Remember, however, that Isaiah, he prophesied a hundred or so years earlier that they would not repent, and they didn't. Isaiah prophesied Jerusalem's fall to the Babylonians in Isaiah chapter 39. It did. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.